Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. Uh, happy, you know, midweek uh, blues, I guess you could call it, Dante. We're, we're, we're halfway there. We're, we're back to the weekend. If anyone's still counting days in their quarantine, you know, maybe it feels like a Thursday for the rest of you. I don't know. Maybe it feels like a Monday. Who knows at this point? I have no idea anymore. I really don't know what day it is. I looked. I was like, wait, it's Wednesday. No, Wednesday was yesterday. It, wait, it's Thursday? Who knows? I just, I just roll with it. There has been many, many times where I've been typing out like on our Instagram stories, oh, on Monday's show, and I'm like, wait a minute, today's Thursday. Today's definitely Thursday. It's not Monday's show. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I thought there'd be a little bit of sanity in uh, you know, staying on track with our podcast, but it's just uh, it's a free-for-all. It's the wild, wild west right now. Oh, for sure. But uh, nice. speak, speak, speaking of the West and, the, and <laughs> yeah. out in the Midwest, happy to have our first Midwest guest on the show. Um, this guy has been in and around the, the golf scene in Utah for uh, what seems like an eternity now. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not with, that old. Hey, it brought the Santa Claus beard on the show. I had to bust on him a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, happy to bring Jordan Bloxham on the show. Uh, Jordan's been around the game, whether it's in the – professional ranks and the teaching ranks now uh, for a very long time. So Jordan, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. Hey, good to, good to be here. Glad to bring some West, you know, to you East coasters, you know, bring a little mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Ha- we've, we've seen, you know, time and time again on your, on your Instagram stories and on your photos, there is something else about that uh, Midwest golf scene, man, that just brings the views. <laughs> There's some definitely some good views. I mean, obviously, it's it's the Instagram life. You're not taking shitty pictures, obviously, but but there's there's a lot of really good 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 views out here. I mean, you're getting up into the into the mountains, and and so it's just it's just really really beautiful up here. Yeah, there's something I'm always amazed about, and I think Dante and I have talked about this a bunch of times. Seeing the white caps when you guys have like 70 degrees <laughs> down on the course, it's, it's a pretty a, it's a pretty cool contrast. There's and and I and I don't ski or snowboard anymore. Um, I had a snowboard for a while, but when it was only getting used once or twice a year, I was like, uh, that thing's gone. I, I'll just, you know, drive four hours to St. George and, and place it, play some golf rather than do that. But there are guys that will do split it. And when it's that early spring, they'll go up, you know, get some turns in and then come down and get 18 in. So you can do both for sure. In one day? In one day. Well, no you're, way. You're only twenty. You're only twenty. Like depends on where you're at. You could go. Uh, one of buddies, he's uh, Willow Creek Country Club, and but if you could get from Willow Creek Country Club up to one of the ski resorts in twenty minutes, and then back. Wow, what a life! I mean, I mean, <laughs> you you can get it in no problem. So is it like two different seasons too? Once you go up there, you know, like I know some like some areas. Once I mean, you you're get up you're getting off. you're getting some. I mean, you're yeah. Sometimes you'll get the the storms that will roll in and all they'll they'll do is they'll stay up up high and you'll get you'll get snow up there and then um you'll be fine down in the valley but it's usually pretty similar weather conditions that's funny and how long does that last because you know on the east coast we had a interview with a episode i think four or five from uh just outside of gettysburg pennsylvania liberty mountain resort yeah the work there we would get maybe a week of that during the year how, how often can you do that in utah i mean still <laughs> i mean it's been <laughs> like right now i mean there's guys depends on how court, hardcore you are with the skiing right and obviously all the ski resorts right now are shut down um 
but I mean, you'd still be, you'd probably have a good another month of skiing where you could get skiing up there. So, and we've been playing golf, I mean, what, for a month and a half of really solid golf. So you, there's times where you can get two plus months of doing both if you wanted to. That's pretty sweet. And that's unique. There's not too many places yeah. in the country uh, that can say you can do that for such an extended period of time. Yeah. Well, being here in Salt Lake, it's just the proximity to the, the ski resorts is so close, which is why it's, it's so easy to do both if you want to. That's awesome. So now take us through like kind of where you started. You were born and raised in Utah? Born and raised in Utah, born and raised in Salt Lake Valley. Uh, just grew up with my parents. Like my parents started golf late. I mean, they just started playing for fun and stuck clubs in our hands. And, you know, we just hit balls around the yard and, you know, had the plastic clubs, plastic balls, you know, graduated to the, the cut down junior set and, you know, like three and four and just hitting them around the yard. We had an unfinished fence on one side. So we just all the way around the back to the front, there was like a hole. So we, we'd create holes out of it and just, just hit it around the, the yard. I'm sure we, you know, probably pissed off some neighbors because I'm sure there were some errant ones at that point, but it was, that's, that's how I got my start is just doing that. My parents were like, Oh, this is really fun. And so they just got us into it. And I mean, started playing tournaments at five uh, junior tournaments and just kind of caught the bug and it's, it's never left. I had a two year stretch at some point where I got burnout when I stopped uh, playing professionally um, for a little bit. But other than that, that's like day one when the club was in my hand, it's been, it's been a fixture. So that's pretty cool. And I, and I love the fact that the bug was kind of caught off the golf course. Like it was just kind of like this makeup, you little, you know, <laughs> chip and putt basically in your back. That's pretty yeah. sweet. Cause like so many people, they're like, Oh, like my bug was caught on the course and my bug was caught. You know, when I hit this par three, I hit the green or something like that. But it was in your backyard with a little yeah. makeshift chip and putt. That's that's chip, pretty sweet. Chip and putt. And like I said, and I don't remember a time when like golf wasn't like what I was going to do in some form or fashion. It wasn't going to be a big part of my life. And which is, like I said, it's it's weird, but it's been like say day one. It's been been that way. So well, you can definitely tell the bugs still got you. We've seen you kind of, <laughs> you know, out and about. Yeah, we've seen you out and about through all of this, uh, these crazy times on the course just about every day. You mentioned before we got on here, you've probably played more now in this spring than any other spring to date. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and one of the things is I've made it a priority. Like this, I'm like, that's, I didn't get into the golf industry not to play golf. And so I'm like, whether, whether it's going out early, you know, and this has just helped it a little bit, be a little bit easier to get out since here in Utah where we are open. Um, I don't, I, I can't think of one that's in the Valley that's not right now. So, um, and then we've got St. George courses opening up the end of the week. So we're getting everything basically in the whole state back open. Some of them are like, you know, Hey, you have to be a County resident, just like, Mm-hmm. And we were talking about in Delaware and, and some things like that. But I mean, for me, it was just, it was a conscious decision um, to play a lot more golf. I'm a goal of mine is to play every single golf course in the state. I don't know whether with all this going on, I'll be able to get it done this year, but over the next couple of years, I'll, I'll do that and document yeah. it. So you guys are in a pretty unique state out there. You're kind of one of the, um, you know, 
few places in the country that really haven't been hit too hard by this. Yeah, and and, and you're great. like you said, you've been in a unique state where you're starting to open back up, if anything. You know, normal times are starting to come back. Um, how many courses that you know you said you're trying to play? How many courses are in Utah <laughs> that you're trying to conquer this year? There's over 100. I think when I counted them, there's like 107. So. All right. Well, you know, that, that's doable and excited to follow along in that, in that journey or in that trek, because that, that's pretty cool. And not too many people can say they've played all 50 states, let alone, you know, all courses in their own state. I mean, yeah. heck, Dante, I don't know about you in New Jersey, but myself in Pennsylvania, I've conquered maybe half and that's yeah. being generous. Yeah, there's so many courses in like the Atlantic city, egg Harbor, uh, township area that's probably about 45 minutes maybe 55 minutes from my house and they're it's almost like a golf mecca i know and i <laughs> i'm like 45 minutes come on yeah it's i'm like how, how have i not gone to all these courses there's just so many courses it's almost like a golf mecca just in that area or if, if you were to look at kind of like florida hotbed where there's like a course every two blocks it's like that down there i'm like how i need to make make my way down there and just like and then I can go to the casino can. right afterwards. <laughs> Lose money. Lose money. I don't know if that's such a great idea, but well, depends on if you're winning we'll money in the, in the, in the interim, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right. Gotta, gotta go out and hustle your buddies and then take yeah. that. Yeah, there you go. Spending cash to at least, at least get out of there even for the weekend, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was looking at it, and I played a good majority of them. And so, I mean, some of that is I played a lot in the junior golf scene around here, obviously, but. I mean, just that, and then you know, just making it a point to go and go and play and and playing with with friends, or you know, just trying to. But there's some, you know, St. George is about four hours away, and there's some courses on up and down that corridor that you're just driving by, and it's it's in the, they're in little towns, and I'm like, well, I should probably play that at some point. <laughs> but now it's just there, and I was kind of how I got on that kick was I played uh, golf with Tom Coyne um in St. George and you know he did his whole you know a, a course called Ireland a course called Scotland and then he he's writing his book called A Course Called America right now so I was played with him when he came and hit the little the little little southwest corner of St. George and yeah for, for, for those that are on our YouTube page I'm going to lean to the right here and kind of point behind me <laughs> Tom Coyne made this awesome giveaway way back. And I think you and I were both recipients. We were both recipients, yeah. Pretty sweet uh, giveaway. But basically, he had an artist come through and do a rendition, this artist's rendition of hand-drawn logos from every U.S. Open that had yeah. ever hosted uh, an Open. And, boy, what an awesome piece. And, I mean, just to kind of speak to the to the travels that Tom Coyne's doing, you know, and, and putting every, you know, last ounce of effort into this course called America book in 2021 that he's releasing. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great read, I think for, for any golf yeah. nut out there. I don't know if you've read any of his books, but a side note, the guy who did that is actually doing the rendition of, I think every Ryder cup thing. So he's doing a, a Ryder cup one. I don't know if you guys follow him on, on Instagram, but I, you know, when I posted my, the picture of mine on there, he, you know, commented and then, so I just started following him and, and so he's doing one. Uh, yeah. I mean, courses. you talk about just like a guy like kind of completely committed to the golf scene right now. It seems like <laughs> everything he's doing and it's time consuming what he does to get it right yeah. and to get all these courses perfectly kind of rendered, hand rendered on a, 
on a poster yeah. like this. It's, it's an awesome work of art. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I obviously don't have mine here. Mine's up in my <clears throat> office at the shop, but it's um we need to get yours get get that frame buddy. yeah you know <laughs> i'm working on a frame here we're uh we're struggling a little bit the frames are not cheap by any means and no, uh thinking about uh sure. hand doing my own one here but uh one way or another it, it'll be in a frame here soon because it, it deserves to be preserved because it's a it's a beautiful it's, work yeah it's, a, it's an awesome piece for sure yeah but, but you know you mentioned a little earlier and i want to get back into that you, you talked you know junior level golf and kind of traveling for junior level golf. You said you started the game at the age of five. Um, did you see a lot of success early when you started? And, and if you did kind of, how did that transition into to playing a lot of junior golf? Um, I did. Um, I don't want to say, like I said, I was always, it was always like at the top of the junior scene, like never really dominated, but I was never the, I've never been the guy to take it super low ever. Like I will par the, I will par the hell out of you. <laughs> I was talking talking about it, and I played it with a buddy this this last Saturday, uh, yeah, Saturday or Friday, one of the days. Like I said, days are running together, but you know, and he, I think he rattled off like six or seven birdies, and I had zero birdies, sixteen pars, one bogey, and an eagle. And it's like that's just, I mean, I was like, I will par. If you need a par and you had to put your life on it, I will make a par for you. <laughs> don't, don't, don't look for me to make a whole bunch of birdies. Um, I'll, I'll go through it every once in a while where I'll go on a hot streak, but. Do you ever go uh, 18 pars in a row? I don't think I've ever, that I can recall that I've ever done that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that I know of, but I can recall. I think I would remember that. I mean, I've been close. I mean, obviously that was, that was one. I will tell you the most frustrating thing is someone who can go 18 pars in a row on you. Well, cause as, just, as a you know, competitor, they're not making a bogey. Yeah. As like me playing against you, if you're making 18 pars, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, I, I know I'm screwing up somewhere. I'm going to make a couple birdies, but yeah, I, I've played with kids, especially in junior tournaments when I was growing up through the game that bugged the hell out of me. They'd party to death yes. and they'd win tournaments. You know, they'd, Steve, they'd win uh, tournaments. <laughs> Steve from S-Dot Putters uh, two years ago when he won the club championship at my course, uh, first round, 18, 18 pars. pars. Yep. They call him, uh, they call him uh, Steve, I make par. <laughs> <Barry. laughs> hey, at least they're not bogeys, so, right? Yeah, shout out to Steve. Yeah, I mean you have to, right? Like at the end of the day, pars are better than bogeys. And and what yeah. are you going to complain about? You'd love to make some birdies, <laughs> but 72 on a par 72 is still a pretty darn good score. Yeah, for sure. So, now that's awesome. Um now, you know, going from junior golf into high school golf, um mm-hmm. you know, we 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 know you played some college golf, but how did that transition go from like junior to high school golf? Um was the team atmosphere for you you know, kind of collective, like, did you have a good team when you were in high school? Cause so in high kind of differ for a lot of people. High school, it was like my first year when I was, um, we don't, I don't know how you guys, whether you guys have when high school back there, whether it starts in ninth grade or, or uh, you start as a freshman or sophomore, but we're, when I was, you know, me old man, I was, it was, you started as a sophomore in high school and you couldn't even play on the team before then. So as a sophomore, our team was pretty good. Um, you know, I came on and I was still the best player on the team. Uh, but we ended up taking second in the state tournament our, our first year. 
in a playoff, which a team playoff is weird as hell. Cause you've got like three guys go out and it's, it's like a cumulative thing. And is actually the course that I uh, played at this twice this last week, which is where we, where we had it. And we ended up, you know, get, winning this, the second place where you're tied for second and third. Um, but then after that, it was just, the team was not great. I mean, we made it to the state tournament every year, but nothing fantastic. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it was fun. I really enjoyed my teammates then and knew I was going to go to college at, at some point, hated school. So that was one thing did not like school. Um, you know, I've got some stories that we'll, we'll probably keep off air from my, from my <laughs> high school days um, that probably weren't, weren't the best um, as, a, as, a, as a junior golfer. Um, but, you know, just transitioned right in into to college golf. Had a few offers, but like I said, school wasn't my thing. So, you know, that is part of it when you're going to a, to a college. You have to have some kind of you know, scholastic prowess. And that was where I kind of lost it a little bit. So I went to Utah Valley State. So it was a JC, but all I wanted to do was play golf anyway. And the funny story is, is about a week after I verbally committed to Utah Valley, uh, South Florida called and they were just starting their program. And I turned it down on principle, but I'm like, I look back at that and I go, maybe, but no. It was, it was a good spot where I ended up. So. I mean, born and raised in Utah, it definitely had to fit you well. Um, and I know you speaking a little bit, it kind of hit home to me too. Um, I was a borderline degenerate when it came to scholastics <laughs> in high school. Uh, <laughs> sports were the only thing that mattered to me. Um, and, and finally, when someone like, I guess, shook me to death and said, hey, I know you like sports, but in order to play those sports in college, <laughs> you, still have to get... you might want to work on that GPA a little bit. Yeah. And it, it's definitely, like I said, it was one of the things that kept me probably from going to a, a bigger D1 school. But I mean, I look back at it now and I'm like, whatever. It was, it was where I was supposed to be at that point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It definitely, uh, it definitely worked the same with me where I ended up. Uh, yeah, I mean, where I ended up meeting Dante, um, it, it ended up working out for the best. I would not take a second back of my collegiate experience for the world. So it, it ended up working out pretty well. And, you know, let's get into that a little bit. You went to Utah Valley State. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you just said, you know, there was possibly the other option to go into uh, Southern Florida. But uh you chose Utah Valley State, obviously in-state school for you, close to home. Um, what was the junior college life like from a golf perspective there? Were you able to play a lot within that? We were able to play a lot. The, the reason that we were in was actually uh, we are the one Utah school in uh, Phoenix. Basically, Phoenix area uh, JCs and then um, Pima Valley Community College, which is in Tucson. Um, so I got to play quite a bit. We had a fall in the, the – a spring schedule um in our first tournament which like we went down to i don't know like ruidoso in mexico just out in like it's in the kind of the higher plateau part of of new mexico and played there and we actually ended up pushing the the uh defending jc national champions (laughs) and we lost to him by like three shots i think that and so that was kind of a surprise coming, you know, it's, you got a school out of Utah coming down and, you know, playing, 
playing pretty good. I think we had one. I think I ended up top five. Another one of our players ended up, you know, top five. Um, but after that, it was kind of our coach, and I love him to death. Still talk with him now, but he was a baseball, basketball, football coach, right? I mean, funny story from that that tournament exactly. I'm coming down, and I think the first day I'm a couple under going in with three holes to play. It was a shotgun start, so we didn't end up on 18, but there's like – and I, I think I make a double coming down. and the, So the first day and ended up shooting even. Next day I'm about in the same spot, getting to the same spot, and he goes, and he goes hey, don't do what you did yesterday. And I'm like – well, thanks. Thanks for that, Coach. I appreciate that. Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I think I ended up shooting like 72, 73 for the tournament. Like I said, top five. But it was just after that. And then there was a couple of guys on the team. And it just kind of fell apart. We ended up going to the the, the Nationals that year. But um, that's that was another story in itself. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because cause our golf coach, uh, the, the first year I stepped on campus, it was the first year of our program, totally. The year before me, they were just club. Um, and the coach at the time was the full-time basketball coach as well. Um, so obviously, great recruiter, you know, very, very sociable kind of guy. Right. Golf, golf knowledge. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, great guy. Love him to death. Still consider him like, you know, family to this day. You know, right. and uh, but he had those kind of sentiments on the course too. It was uh, it was very less like you know, from a, if you had like a true golf coach that was talking golf psychology to you, yeah, it was like, you know, all right, let's really think through this, let's not use the negative words, let's use the positive words. That was not my golf coach, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was like I said, it was, it was and I still, like I said, we still talk at least a few times a year, uh, right now, so it's. Like I said, it's not like he'd have any bad – it was just the way that he, you know, he grew up baseball, football, basketball, coaching those where you had to be kind of that, that hard-ass, kind of tough on, you know, and kind of get – you got to get that adrenaline going rather than, hey, look, let's – you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Or, hey, you know, you're playing good. You know, just just keep it going. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was that. But it was – like I said, it was – it is what it is. And – I enjoyed my experience there and like I say, not school, enjoyed my experience golf, <laughs> but not school again. Um, it's so funny that contrast between sports because, you know, not many people see it, I guess, or, or so many people are fans of like the adrenaline sports, whether it's basketball or, you know, baseball or ba football that like, they don't, they never like put together two and two. They're like, huh, I wonder if that coach ever transferred as a golf coach. Like I could never see like Roy Williams or coach K coaching golf like that would just that would blow people's minds of like right. there's just two total contrasts and um and, and it seems like we both kind of had those guys coach our golf team and i think in, in funny. smaller programs i think you're going to have them because that's what they can get right you see it they're a lot teach, yeah they're usually teaching there and they have some coaching experience so they're like hey we're going to pull you in you guys coach some coaching experience we're going to pull you into to coach golf so. yeah for sure and 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 totally at the junior college level and like the D3 level, which I went to. And, and, you know, I think you see that all the time. I think, you know, guys are kind of shuffled around or, or even women are shuffled around when new sports are starting or, you know, club teams are looking to become NCAA or, you know, JUCO yeah. recognized teams. It's just, it, it's what they can do with the budget. 
at that point. Yeah, that you gotta gotta get one with more than one hat on, rather than like those <laughs> top tier D one schools where you know I'm bringing this coach in. This is what he's done his entire life, and that's yeah. all he's gonna focus on while he's, sure. his time's here. Because even some of those coaches, high school and even like smaller colleges, probably teach classes at the same time. So, oh know. yeah, and that's that was our coach for sure. Yeah, that's Makes awesome. Sense. I mean, it, it's funny how similar it seems like the, the junior college level was to, to the D3 level here, Dante, because, yeah, like, it's, it, it seems like one and the same, just a little bit of different recognition of, of national organization. Yeah. Well, Pretty I, much. That's what it seems like. And, the like, say, the, the JUCO ranks, and I don't know if how, that's how it was, but we – like, there was some, like, kick-ass golfers. It was, it was crazy. Like, we played in the region with Scottsdale Community College, and – and then um, Pima and Pima had I don't, uh, Rich Barslow, who played on the PGA Tour for a little bit, was there. Um, I played with uh, for a year with uh, Robert Garrigus, and then he was down at Scottsdale Community College when I was there. He didn't like school much either. Like we talked to guys, and they're like, "I don't think Robert's gone to a class all year." But I played with him in in, in regionals, and that dude could flat hit the ball. You know, like, and it's it funny, crazy. it's funny too, because I, I see so many times, I think in football in like our area, Dante in Scranton, Lackawanna college, junior college out of Scranton, Pennsylvania sent so many guys to like NFL combines and like NFL teams. Like they, they're, they're known in the Juco world for like sending guys in the Northeast to like the giants, the Eagles, you know, the jets, whatever. And it's like, from a junior college level. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that, you know, maybe just at the end of the day, you know, aren't going to be your all American academic team and, yeah, uh, and, and have to it. have to go that Juco level. And some of it was, we, there was a lot of kids that would come over from overseas and they didn't mm. have the, the credentials or whatever they needed to, to attend an American university. So they'd go out and just, I mean, flat dominate some of these, the Juco Tournaments. I mean, even on like, cause I played lacrosse in college and even on the lacrosse side of things, uh, there is a, um, native American, uh, like reserve up in like upstate New York. And a lot of the guys, you know, and sometimes it just comes down to not just cause you, you stink at school or you just don't like school. Sometimes it comes down to money too. Some people just don't have the funds to get into these big colleges. Yeah. So you I wouldn't even knock down the smaller schools or the Jucos because there were some kids that would go to the, on the lacrosse side of things that they would go to. The The goal was to go to the, go to their junior college for two years. And then in hopes to get like a scholarship yeah. transfer to, they always wanted to go to Syracuse. Cuse was like the place <laughs> to be at. Uh, they ended yeah. up going to Albany and actually made turn that, turn that team around. But right. besides, I mean, it's just it's just wild to see like don't don't knock on those junior colleges because there are probably some kids that can ball out um, there. On the some of it is, and some of it was that, or the, you just got some guys that just didn't peak at the right time, right? So there wasn't anything for them. So they're like, okay, hey, go here for a couple of years, and then if you're still playing at the level, right? They may have not hit their stride until after their senior year, and all of a sudden they just ripped up the mm -hmm. the junior circuit, but because they didn't weren't playing great. They didn't travel. They didn't go to the AJGA tournaments. They didn't do a lot of stuff like that. And so you're just not getting the recognition that you, you're looking at that way. So then when you go and then all of a sudden you're top tier there, <clears throat> then you can go, you know, move on. 
and it may just be a year where then you transfer over to a D1 school. Yeah, makes sense. Because even, I mean, like you're saying about the the peaking, I mean, if if we're taking one thing out of this, go, if you can extend your playing competitive career, go wherever you can to get get yeah. those reps in. Because, I mean, if you have – if you have the dream to, you know, be in the industry one way or the other, keep, keep plugging along, yeah. keep finding that, uh, find that place that will accept you in order <laughs> to allow you to get better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's some of it's too true. Right. And there's, like I said, there's, there's pros and cons. I have, have a buddy who ended up going to, you know, he's actually, um, the guy who started impact golf center that I work at right now, but he was like, he was one of the most highly recruited. He's a couple years younger than I am. He played um, a lot with, he kind of bridged the gap. I played a little bit with Boyd Summer Hayes. Um, and then he played with him too. So Boyd kind of overlapped us. Boyd is a little bit younger than I am, but he played up all the time. <clears throat> and so they played with him, but he was, you know, next to, to Boyd, he was probably one of the higher recruited juniors in the thing. But so he went to, ended up going to Weber state Um some of it was female related because um, he had a girlfriend, but some of it was the coach told him that he would play and he had a chance to walk on at BYU, but he was like with the Miller boy, like they had a really good squad. Probably the one that, you know, is as good, if not better, uh, probably about as good as they have right now. And they're ranked 17th in the country right now is what they ended up. But he was like, he went to the coach there and they just, they were like, you know, you're probably not going to play for a couple of years. We just got, you know, you got five guys that unless you prove to it over and over and over again, that you could beat them. We're not going to take them over you because they're proven. And that plays such a big role in so many people's decisions of where to yeah. go. Like, can I get that competitive juice flowing my freshman year? Or am I going to have to wait to my sophomore junior year? Like yeah. that's a completely different scenario. Like when you got to wait three years to step on a competitive team, unless you're like really going to ball your, you know, <clears throat> your ball off and, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like prove yourself worthy. Then it's like, am I willing to wait three years? Yeah. It's well, and it's, and it's got to depends on where it is. Cause we've, you know, we've had some juniors that have come through um, that haven't worked with us directly, but we've known that have been, we had one that came through and he ended up, he was deciding between like, I think BYU ended up going to Georgia tech. But I'm like, why would you not choose Georgia Tech over like a, a, a Utah, a BYU, where you get a, for one, you get a full <laughs> full year of playing and you get to play at Georgia Tech where you have all those resources. If your goal is to take it to the next level, you've got to play against that quality of, of competition. Whether you're playing or whether you're not, if you're going to play against better players, more than likely, if that's your goal, you're going to work your ass off to get better so that you can be the one playing in tournaments. Yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely something to be said on, I think, both sides of the argument, whether it's like, you know, choosing the place that, oh, I can play now. And yeah. then like you just said, choosing the place that, all right, well, that's tour quality player right there. And, yeah. and I'm going to play against those guys and, and prove myself week in and week out against those guys. So it's definitely a toss up. And, and you know, I think um, it, it's a huge decision for a lot of these kids coming out of high school that, you know, really – need to i mean it's a it's sometimes a life-altering decision in, in a yeah, four-year span for sure so. for sure and like i said and it just depends on what you want to do if you want to go and you want to play for four years then i'd go to a smaller school where you're going to play all the time you're probably not going to get to play against the competition and 
and things like that. But I mean, it's, it's, it is, like I said, I'm wish I would have, I probably would have progressed as a golfer a little bit better if I would have went to South Florida, just playing on those courses and things. But I think, I mean, I played against pretty decent competition as it was just because we were in a really good region. And then we did get to play uh, both years. Uh, BYU holds a tournament called the Cougar Classic. And lucky enough to get to play in it the one year that, that Stanford was there. <laughs> played, oh, wow. I played in, I did, I have, I have played against El Tigre. In a, I was just going to ask. Oh, wow. that, what, what, yeah. that was against the uh, Eldrick Woods? The Eldrick Woods, yeah. Oof. So. Did he win I, that week? He didn't. No. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, he got was, beat by, it was, it was, it, uh, it was one of his teammates at Stanford that won it, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't. A little, angry. little behind the scenes action there. <laughs> Tiger didn't win every tournament he, he played in at that time. He didn't, he didn't win every, every tournament. And I was, I was that guy at our, uh, the guy from our paper was like, he's like, what do you think about Tiger being here? What do you think? You know? And I was like, he hits it far and straight. He's like, just like everybody else here. <laughs> yeah, it's about but, I'm the like, same. But, but I'm like, I can't give at that point. I'm competing against this guy. It, you know, obviously talent level superior, but I'm like, if I give an inch, I'm going to get my doors blown off. Well, so. and that's the thing, like down the road, so many golfers screwed up. When oh. they got, when they came against Tiger Woods, oh, you bad. give him not even you said an inch, you give the man a, a millimeter at times yeah. in his career from like ninety seven through oh four, and then again like oh seven through oh well, nine. I mean, you give him a you give him a millimeter, and it's the, over. The mental, like that guy, mentally best ever. Right? I've never been like Tiger fanboy. I appreciate everything that he's done and appreciate his game for sure. I've never been, but that guy was, would straight intimidate people. There were guys that had no chance when they stepped on the, on the first tee with him, which was like watching the 90, was it the 2005 when he played with DeMarco in the final round? It's like, Holy shit. DeMarco was balling that, that time when he yeah. like took him to a playoff. And I was like, I didn't like I you remember the you know the shot on on 16 but you're like DeMarco hits some hits some shots well and if he makes that putt it's a whole different ball game too but yeah. you just watched one of the most intimidating players in the world at that time on 16 at the Masters coming down to the last three holes where you possibly can take the lead sink the most impossible chip shot on you he did follow it up with two bogeys yeah what? I mean, <laughs> I mean that's and you forget you forget that too, right? But you, you do. Bogey, but that's, you yeah. bogey two coming down the stretch, which was kind of. But crazy. I guarantee you, in that point in time, after Demarco missed that putt, his mind had to be just spinning. Yeah. Because like at that time, there was just nobody. Like you said, mentally, you step on the tee, nobody can beat him. Yeah. And they knew. But if, yeah, but if you saw it most of the time. It was, like I said, and I'm not saying that Chris DeMarco had a pretty good career, but the guys that kind of stood up to him the most <laughs> were guys that were a little bit lesser known that were like, well, sh this is my shot. I got nothing to lose. And they just went balls out where you had a lot of these other guys going, 
Oh, I got my chance to beat Tiger. Yeah, well, I mean, was, uh, I just we just watched the uh, I just watched the '08 uh, U.S. Open yesterday, and you got to think. I mean, okay, he stood up and almost lost twice to Rocco Mediate. I know. I mean, we're not talking a juggernaut in the game of golf with Rocco Mediate. Like really solid players, right? And it's not the only one that I can think of. What CP Pan? How did CP mm-hmm. Pan kind of? figure in beating <laughs> or was it oh uh, no not ct fan why am i trying to i'm trying to blank on his name well, yeah. he, he he rose the golf bag he was the weightlifter um yeah it, yeah but you know but it's shit. like <laughs> golfers they weren't weren't there but it's like they had really solid careers rock immediate solid career yeah you know, long, long time career. player on tour and that yeah. takes that, that that says a testament to how well and consistent you play a game when you can stay yeah. out there for that long for sure. I mean, like I said, it's, and you can attest to it, Isaiah, you know, if, when you guys talk to him, you can, he can attest to it. Being out there, it's rough, man. It's not, um, it's not easy, Mm-mm. right? It, it's a, it's a grind, you know, not everybody, you see these stories and you got these guys, but I was listening, I was listening, uh, Kepka, Brooks Kepka was on uh, with Claude Harmon today but he was talking about guys that are on mini tours that he's like, just haven't kind of put it together at the right time (laughs) that are, that can flat play golf. Like I know that there's, there's guys that are out on tour right now. And there's guys that I know personally that on a routine basis, beat the tour players routine Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. Well, I mean, you put it in perspective here and we see it, we see it kind of like on our side with the podcast and just mucking it up with guys in our industry. You look at who Kevin Kisner plays with all the time, Scott Brown. And now granted, Scott Brown's starting to see his day. He's starting yeah. to, you know, get into the WGCs and see his day, but he would go out and he was lifelong friends with Kisner and those guys would just battle it back and forth. But like Kisner would see kind of like the professional side of things. He saw success a little longer, I guess, than what Scott Brown did. And yeah. it's like, these guys are still, they're, they're, they're neck and neck. They're always yeah. like Scott Brown's probably beaten Kisner day in and day out. But when yeah. it comes down to the, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday tournaments, yeah. Sunday tournaments, Kisner just has a way of scratching well, it out. And it's there, only there's three or four shots. Yeah, there's a mental switch. It's one or two. I mean, you look at you look at guys and you know a local guy Danny Summerhays, and he hasn't really been the same since he missed the Tour Championship by one shot over the entire season. If he's if he drops more, if he's one shot lower than any one of those tournaments that he makes a check in, he's playing in there, which gets him exempt into everything the next year. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one shot over the course of the year. It's nuts. I mean, and, and, and to go back to that, and, and I think, you know, we've talked about this before too, but it's the guys grinding it in day in and day out to get to the corn ferry. It's the same deal. Yeah. It's one shot. One yeah. shot's career making. Think about that. How crazy is that? Amateur <laughs> golfers can't, can't even fathom that in a regular, you know, they can't put it into perspective that like, oh, well, you know, over a four course day or a four day tournament, if yeah. I made one less shot, I have a career in the game. Now I'm selling insurance. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, it could be, it could be one of a, a few things, right? It's, it's, I mean, there's so many different factors, but I mean, you look at a couple of, you know, things and it's why 
you know, what I do now, there's a huge, you know, with club fitting and lessons, it's like, you know, we're obviously not dealing on a day-to-day basis with, with tour pros, but there's some things we do that we're like, why are guys not doing this? If you want to play, if you're playing all the time and you're trying to enjoy the game as much as you can, trying to be the best you can, whether it's top level amateur, you want to be the best at your club, you know, why are you not doing these things to help you shave those one to two shots around a tournament off, off of your game? Well, so like, take us, take us through that because, you know, you've spent some time in the mini tour life as well and kind of know that background. Um, Take us through, you know, what it's just like, I mean, day to day, people don't understand there's a pre-qualifier, a Monday qualifier, you know, especially if you're starting out and don't have the points or don't have the pre, you know, (laughs) requisites. How do you you start that journey? You go into the things, like I said, back then it was, you go and, you know, you can do Monday qualifiers. Back then they didn't have pre-qualifying for Mondays, Um, but you'd go there, but you still have the stages of, of Q school, which, you know, the three stages of Q school, which is now there's four, because you got a pre-qualifying stage of, of, of qualifying school for the, the corn ferry. I mean, there's a lot more players playing now, but I mean, basically how I started, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to do this. And I actually went and started the, in the PGA of America route, where I was going to do the, get my certification. <laughs> and I was out there te- teaching guys on the tee and go, this is an hour that I could be hitting balls. <laughs> and so that's when I just gave it up and I, you know, caddied it, it, you know, some clubs and just played mini tours, stayed open stuff. Um, but there went to PGA tour Q school once, went to Canadian tour Q school once, um, PGA tour Q school. If you ever get a chance to get out to California and play La Parisma, be prepared to get your ass kicked if you're not ready for it. Right. And I, I didn't go in prepared. For sure. There's no doubt about it. I didn't go in and prepared. It is a great experience, but the course is, is long and it's usually some wind um, and a really, a really tough course. It's um, now what are guys that are actually prepared for that shooting? Like, you know, <laughs> that one's a little bit to get through. Um, I think it was like four or five over through four days, through four days, got through. It was a tougher one. I'd have to, like I said, I'd have to go back and look, but I was chasing and it may have even been higher than that, but I think I shot 78 the first day and just chasing, which is not a good spot to be on, on a course that is as tough as, as, as that was. So I was chasing, you know, I shot like, I think I shot 78, 72, 73, and then another 78, just because at that point I was like, I've got to shoot 63 to even think about getting through first stage. And so it was a good experience. And then, you know, Canadian tour Q school, I played it down at champions gate in Florida and I one shot, I hit one shot that I hit it too long, hit on cart path and bounced out of bounds. And I missed it by, I think a shot for qualifying for <laughs> Canadian, the Canadian tour. Um, one shot. One shot. That's that one shot. And I wish I would have been doing or had access to what I have access to my, <laughs> what I'm doing for people now. And it would have, would have helped. But I mean, like I said, it was, it was there. I, you know, I played some really good golf, you know, kept it mostly in the, in the Western States, just, you know, I was funding it myself and that's never, never cheap, never easy. Um, yeah, man, Isaiah talks was, about a, lot, a lot about us this year or a lot to us, I should say, um, about just the expense of it. And, and I know like, you know, back in the day, it just inflation rises. I'm sure it wasn't quite as expensive as what it is now, but like, you know, even then, I mean, 
how, how do you go about self-funding, you know, how many, however many tournaments you played at the time? Caddy, talking to people, you know, and just trying to get little, little stuff here and there to play for tournaments. So you're just kind of moving, just scraping by. And I mean, where it ended up finally just getting me was, you know, I had that, I had, I was, I was married and, you know, had a kid at that point. God bless your and, wife. And it, <laughs> yeah. She's a saint. Saint, um, still to this day, <laughs> say dealing with um, me and golf, um, but just you know you're doing that, you're caddying, you're you're just moving from thing to thing, and the biggest thing was is at some point I was just like, holy shit, if I I'm paying five hundred bucks for a tournament, if I play bad, it it's either I you know I'm going back to work, I can't play, you know, doing stuff like that, and it like I said wouldn't change it. I mean, it was like six years pretty f- like full on and then another couple of years just kind of not not as as hard at it. But like I said, wouldn't change it. I, I mean, people always say, and it boils down to this, I feel like, like if you never give the opportunity to yourself to chase the things that you're really good at in life, you know, and give yourself that at least opportunity to say, you know what, at least I did it. Like, and not... <laughs> back in the rocking chair in the nursing home at like 85 and 90 and say, wow, I wish I would have gone. There's a flip side to that where now when I go out and I'll play a pretty good round, I'm like, oh, I'm not too far away from 50. There he is. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I've been, I've done it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so that's where I'm hoping to get to, and you know, lower my low round. That's a goal of mine this year. Well, that's pretty cool. My career, career low round for, for my And what life. is that low round? Uh, 65. I got faith oh. in you. You got 63 <laughs> on the radar this year. I feel it. Uh, the one chance I, it would be lower. Um, but when I was first got into it, I was, I had to teach Nike junior clinics and I don't know if they had them back rate, but I was playing at the local course and I was just out there playing and I had, I had course record in my sights. But I had to skip like three holes because I had to get in and teach juniors. That's a regret. I think I was blame the kids. But, but <laughs> through through fourteen through thirteen holes, I was like nine out of nine under. That's so, that's just one great thing about. That. And I and I'm just like, why the hell did I just not play those three holes? I'm like, uh, be, be fifteen, be thirty minutes late. Who, who cares? I'll, t- <laughs> but, I'll tell you what. That's one great thing about golf is. The, the the dream never dies it's always there unless you do <laughs> <laughs> then it dies yeah. but i, I mean, mean it, it, no. we just talked about uh, what rocco mediate at 45 giving a u.s open run nonetheless yeah well what it was a jack was 46 yeah see so it's 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 always there always there but yeah, no. I love yeah. that. And I mean, speaking of the dream never dying, you're still playing on, you know, the Utah section PGA events and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what's the competition like in Utah from the PGA side of things? Solid. Are those guys, solid. those guys still pretty solid sticks out there? Yeah, you've got about right now about probably ten guys that are really, really solid. We've had um, it was I think three years ago, three years ago. I'm trying to remember where they because they we had three guys qualified. Um, through the CPC into the PGA championship. So we've had guys, I mean, that have been out there and um, had guys I mean, get really close. And we've had, you know, 
Steve Schneider, he's won the CPC and, you know, done a lot of, a lot of stuff. So we've had a really, there's a really good core of golfers here. So, I mean, if you're not going out on a, on a daily, you know, in a tournament and you've got to be shooting, you know, on a, probably anywhere for, if it's a two day tournament, you're looking anywhere from six to 12 under to win. So it's, it's not, there's not, not, not a lot of slouches. No, here, you're, so. you gotta be golfing your, you gotta be golfing your ball to, <laughs> to get through out there. That's, <laughs> that's some pretty good scoring, but you know, you, you talked a little earlier too. what I would love to get back into your teaching mm-hmm. side of things. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, if, if the players would do the one or two things that you guys work on, you know, specifically, yeah. it would probably be a game changer for them. What <laughs> are those things? And you know, uh, specifically are you talking that about? I was more talking like the club fitting side, like if you get it. Um, and that's like I said, I teach and I'm getting a lot better at teaching and enjoying it a little bit more, but I would prefer to, to fit. Um, you can see, it doesn't matter who you are if you like to play golf and you're serious about it. And that's what we've told everybody. If you're a beginner and you're serious about it, you're going to play four or five times a week. Why would you not want a set that match that not want a set that matches up to your swing? Right. So that getting, uh, don't know if, if you guys have heard of SST puring, um, but that's, I don't so think I have It's a shaft alignment system. So basically what we'll do is we'll get, we'll get the, the club get at the specs we'll get in the shaft build it to the specs we want to the length that we want and then we put it in it's it's the sst pure machine and it analyzes the entire shaft right so it's basically you're putting it in there and it's finding the spot that will kick and perform the most consistent right just like you know your wheel you can drive a car that's not in alignment but it's hard you know, it's, you're going to let go of the wheel and it's going to go that way. Same thing. You get that oscillation in, in the golf head and it just is a reduction of that. Right. So if you, in, you guys have played golf for long enough, two to three degrees can make a huge difference on where that, where that ball goes. So, and they've done independent studies with it and it's for guys on the tour, it saves the guys on the tour a half a shot around, or I think a, a third a shot around. Well, I mean, when you're putting a full weekend together, you're, you, as we mentioned <laughs> earlier, the one shot, one shot, I mean, that's, that's a career, that's a career changer. But I mean, in the biggest thing that you hear is, oh, I'm not good enough. My swing's not consistent enough. It's more consistent than you think it is. It's just maybe not as good as somebody else's. Right. Yeah. So there's some things that way, but the biggest, like say probably the biggest improvement guys that are about 12 to 18 handicappers probably see the biggest improvement. I was going to say that's, I, I still feel like for some reason, the most debated controversial, Oh, it's just urban legend. I really don't need to get fit. I can still get something off the rack <laughs> like that, that in the game still to this day, for some crazy to... reason is just like the most talked yeah. about part of golf is like, Oh, should I get fit? Should I get fit? How do I get fit? How, you know, how much, if you just want to go drink a beer with your buddy on the weekend, then fine. Don't get fit. It doesn't matter to you, but if you like actually care about your game and you know, and it will get guys that, you know, it's too expensive. I don't, you know, I'm not good enough, which like I said, we've seen the most improvement from some of the higher handicappers. So that is out the window. And yes, if you do it the way we do it, where we're building it from top to bottom, where we're, you know, getting in a raw shaft and building it from top to bottom. Yeah. It's going to be more expensive, but I've had guys that have said that it's, it's too expensive and they'll go buy three drivers in a year. 
I'm like, well, sh- you just spent more than what you would have spent with us. And you, like, you could have a driver. We've got guys that we can't get them out of a driver that we fit them into five years ago. I'm like, hey, so we just saved you money. Yeah. yeah you're uh, front, but yeah, you're preaching the choir here. I've, I've been fit and I was like a mid handicapper. <laughs> And ever since I got fit, obviously I studied the game too to better, yeah. you know, better knowledge the game as well. But a part of that saved a few strokes off of my game, and I was able to get down from a mid handicap to a single, single digit handicap. And it and it and it's really, it really does show. And and this numbers numbers don't lie, because when I was on the simulator, we took, we took the clubs that I had that I got off the rack, which then I cut down about a quarter to a half an inch. So I already just messed with the swing weight right there so they were like super light and then you know i was hitting them all over the place yeah you're just not timing it up exactly finding you know we found the shaft we found the you know the right club head and then you just saw right there that the little circle your dispersion just got that much tighter and like to me i'm i'm a big advocate for it because i even tell i said to me i think one of the two biggest key components is shaft shaft weight and lie angle lie angle can can be a huge huge like thing me. and like i said and so you got it and where you got it built like saying well the one thing that we do is like say we build it to spec so we take mm-hmm. that custom and take it to like the ne- the next level we'll do a tour level kind of build and it's like I said it's people are like you know for the first little bit you have a little bit of pushback from the manufacturers because they're like well, we build stuff great uh, no, you're building it for the masses. You're not building it for one singular person. You can't build it as good. It takes us, you know, if we're doing a full set from top to bottom, you're into it three hours. I'm like, how long does it take you to put together a set at, you know, said company? Five minutes, you know, it's, it's getting through and it's not, we obviously use their components. They don't suck. Right. But we're just finding something they're going, they're doing a shotgun pattern. Right. That's what I always tell guys that come in and get fit. When you go to, you know, your big box store, they're going to put you in something that's a stock shaft that the manufacturers made to fit a group of guys. That's, you know, a wide, right. They're trying to fit as many guys in that shaft as possible and, you know, and and get relatively good results where we're going for the rifle approach. We want to dial that in for you, right. We're dialing it in for Dalton. We're dialing it in for Dalton or Dante. I said Dalton twice. Dalton, you need help, obviously. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, so we're dialing it in, in for you. And I'm, the biggest thing is just your dispersion is going to go down. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the big thing after I got, you know, started working at Impact. And we started, you know, I got my first set of, like, built clubs. The dispersion, like, it's, it's ridiculous. So that's what I want to talk about too, a little bit. Like, I feel like, you know, when people think, Oh, I'm going to go get fit. Their immediate thought is, well, it's just swing speed. It's just regular (laughs) shafts, you know, stiff shaft, extra stiff shaft. Like, Oh, once I get that right, it'll be all figured out, you know, and and it plays a little bit, like, don't get me wrong. There's some guys that are in regular, it should be in stiff and and vice versa. But, you know, talk us through a little bit of like, okay, yes, swing speeds fit people minimally it gets you a general range of where they should be but when you start getting into it like you said you know what's the maybe highest kind of second thing that you do other than swing speeds that most people just you know need work done on their clubs 
when you're doing it, I mean, you're trying to find the way. And it's like, you know, Dante touched on it perfect. You, and we've got it when we've got it. If you ever get out there, you'll see it on our wall. And we've got our CPMs on our shaft, right? So we know exactly what they're built to. We've got two X flexes of the new Fujikura, the Motori X, F, F1 and F3. Both, they're the six X's. There's a full, like if you were looking at it on a scale, there's a full flex difference between those two shafts just because of their profiles. You can't hit those the same. Like I hit the F1 and I hit it like crap because I, I don't load it hard at the top. So I need something a little that's going to be a little softer down at the bottom to give me that, that pop at the bottom. Right. So that's going to be something. How do you load the shaft? You know, swing speed is some of it, but what is your, your, your general shot shape? If you hit the ball left hard, you're probably, we're probably going to look at something maybe a little stiffer just so that that club doesn't kick over, you know? So there's some, there's some different factors. What shot shape do you want to play? You know, if you hit it high, do you hit it low? So there's, there's different things. And talking with the, um, guy from kbs and he was like i wish we could just put weight on there right because yeah, that, that always blew flex. my mind why why don't they kind of get into that as well on their like you know general club mark like you have that little tape OEMs. around that says x sf you know it's ridiculous. it's sx is all for the oems legitimately he said if they didn't do it they would have a cpm on there so that you would actually see that that would be the and it is, a, it's a truer test. It's a true tell of what, how stiff that, that shaft is. Yeah. I mean, like you just said, you have two, two shafts that are technically stiff shafts, but completely function in way different qualities in the yeah. way that a ball flight reacts, you know, and it, it's just, it, it, it always has blown my mind that that information hasn't made it on a shaft quality, like tape, you know, <laughs> that they, that yeah. they use to name these shafts because all right, great. It's a stiff shaft, but where am I getting, you know, too much work, swing, swing speed, swing weights. I mean, it's just, it, it all boils into something so different that like no stiff shaft can be the same. Yeah. And it's just, it's for simplicity, like 90, 85% of the golf population really doesn't care about it. So what are the OEMs building for? They're building for that market the guys who really take it serious will come to, come to somebody like us and get it done right. And, and you know, they'll take, they'll take that into consideration when they're doing it. Right. And to Dante's point earlier, that along with, and that's why uh, at impact we have both, you know, there's, there's a, you know, another company that's probably the largest fitters out there that all they do is fit. Right. But we, we have a, uh, learning facility so you can get fit you can get lessons you know we do all the builds in house um, but lessons and fittings like hand in hand right and one thing that I would say that most amateurs don't do is they don't practice <laughs> like, like they think it's going to be a miracle like one lesson's like a miracle drug um, but like I don't know how many times I've told people hey if you give me 10-15 minutes of working on this a day like not even a long amount of time and the guy and the people who do it, the players, the, my students who do it, you'll see an improvement. The ones who don't, I'm teaching them the same thing the next week. Oh, for sure. I mean, we saw that, uh, and I think it was so true in the interview we had a few weeks ago with Ethan Smith. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, he he works three jobs, but still gets time for golfing. And he's like, whether it's 
10 minutes or 30 minutes or a full hour. He's like, as long as I'm working on the move or, you know, just the action for 10 minutes a day is better than not touching a club at all. And that, that so separates just your general amateur from the guys that are even taking it semi-serious at like a local club for your, your club events. I mean, it just makes a difference. Oh, it makes a ton of difference. And, you know, just working on that movement, you have to have some consistency. It's like, you can't just like try to ride a bike once and then be like, Oh, pro, right. You're going to have to practice with that. You're not going off Dave the Mira. Ramp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's the big thing is, it's just, you know, people get mad. We're like, Oh, he's not a great teacher. Well, maybe you're not a great student. And I hate to say that, but it's like, it's, it's the truth. There are some students where I'm, and I've told them flat out sometimes, depending, you got to fill out that relationship a little bit, but I've flat told them, look, if you're not going to practice, we're going to keep working on the same thing over and over again. And yeah. it's, no, it's no different than going and getting like a guitar lessons or, yeah. or piano lessons, you know, and my one friend said it best. He goes, the worst thing that students do on, you know, when he, like, he's not, he's not like a professional, uh, a teacher in in the music industry but he's he's you know knows a lot of people but he said that the worst thing you do is if you're learning guitar is when you he just don't buy a case because what's going to happen is you're going to put it in that case and you're just not going to open it and then you're going to go you, lessons just, you won't see it out of sight out of mind <laughs> exactly so i mean it, and it goes back to what you're saying is you got to practice and it's in, in golf is a it's a long-term investment so i mean if you're something that if you're someone that's willing to go out and say hey i really want to get better at this game and i really want to you know focus on this craft because it's a craft that you can do the rest of your life go out and spend like it's going to be expensive but it's gonna it's gonna make up in the long run so go in go get fit it's a long-term investment go get lessons and then put the time in like, like, like you said don't you don't even need to put in like three hours every day go and put like 20 minutes and it, like you'll yeah. get better what as ethan said he goes i want to get one percent bet one percent better every day yeah yeah and it there and i would say and if you're the if you're the player that wants to go out on the weekend and literally your goal is to 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 get out of the house to go have a few drinks with your buddies and not to care then don't care. <laughs> That's the one thing I do is people get so pissed. I'm like, well, you don't practice. And you know, yeah, there's always that fine line yeah. between people who say, man, I don't get it. Why am I not getting better? Well, did you pick up a club between Sunday and Sunday? No. It's like, well, there, there's there you one. Go. <laughs> and another one is the expectations. It's like, and I told my students at their beginning, you know, you work with the 20 handicapper. I'm like, guess what? Your par is not 72. Your par is not 72. I'm like, you need to adjust that and adjust your expectations. You'll have a lot more fun. The, and I'm like, while you're learning it, literally, if you hit it in the water, put your next one in the middle of a fairway. Enjoy yourself. Put it on a tee. Yeah. I don't care, but go and enjoy yourself because making yourself miserable out there. It's, the it's the just, old coach I used to go to, and, and shout out to him because he used to be able to snuff out the kids that he was just you know, having no success with and basically call them out on their bullshit pretty much and say, listen, like, I know what I'm teaching you is going to work if you would actually work on it. And they would see him once a month, maybe twice a month. 
And in between the two times they see him a month, wouldn't work on what they would work on. And it was funny kind of like just sitting, you know, in the back end of all these conversations and hearing him, whether it was on the phone or in person, basically say, he's like, listen, I'm going to teach you for as much as you want to keep paying me. But if you don't work on what I'm telling you, you're never going to see results. And that's what it just boils down to is like, you can go get lessons as much as you want, but if you're only practicing it when you're on the lesson tee, don't expect to see results. Yeah. Not for a long time. You have to take a lot of lessons for that to, to finally pay off because eventually it will, but it's, and it's, it's a saying we use it there a lot. It says like you, you go slow to learn fast, but you know, people just want to keep doing the same thing. They want to, they won't slow down. They won't do drills. They won't do stuff that will actually help their, you know, them mentally process the movements and the drills and the, the things that we're trying to get them to do. They just want to go full bore, you know, a hundred percent of the time, which doesn't work. Golf's one of those most fascinating games where, and Dante can kind of speak on this as he was kind of reworking his takeaway where when you really slow it down and actually just completely forget that the golf swing is a full swing and just break it down and take it slow and really get yourself into muscle memory. Even if it's only practicing from the takeaway position to like a quarter swing yeah, and, and, and focusing <laughs> on that there, there there's, you can, you can make a swing change so fast if you actually yeah. focus on the, you know, two or three movements or two or three yeah. seconds from takeaway. It, yep. it's, it's, it's unreal. That's what I've been doing for the past month and <laughs> haven't left, haven't left my development in over a month. Uh, so, so, uh, you need to get Dante out, I know. <laughs> but now like I have a little spot in, in my room. I kind of opened up, you know, they yeah. switched like work from home at the time and I switched things around and was able to open it up a little bit. So, you know, I got that little like yardstick putter thing and then, but I'm, a, I'm allowed to take basically a, a backswing. Um, if I take a full swing, I'm probably hitting that ceiling fan above me. Um, for those who are watching it, uh, listeners, obviously you can tell a ceiling fan, we don't, that, we don't want that smashing all over the place, but same thing is I have a tendency to flip inside. Um, yeah. so I've been slowly working on how to keep the club in the proper yeah. position and take it more on the outside and then just kind of bringing it back up. But, uh, yeah. And then same thing. I'll go outside and then luckily, like, I guess the one window I can see my reflection. So I just literally just <laughs> sit there for like, like 15 to 20 minutes. If I have to sometimes, it's, it's sometimes an lot. hour nope. yeah. and just sit there and just like, just watch and just like look at where I'm going and try and get that feel. So I don't know, hopefully knocking on wood, we get it back out there soon or my ass yeah. is hopping in the car and I'm just driving South. I mean, low uh, key, let's talk about it real quick. Is the mirror the most underrated you know, piece of uh, technology be, we could say it can be really good. Help you get a swing swing fix in. You can do a lot of good with a mirror for sure. Um, now with the the smartphone, it's really easy to kind of do that and then then do it. Because one nice thing about the mirror is, like I said, it kind of lets you focus on and see it while you're doing it. But mm-hmm. if you slow it down, you can kind of watch that as, as is. But the one thing that people won't do is if if me as an instructor is given you something to work on and like all like literally we're working on the back swing up to the top and that's it right that's all i that's all i care about you getting in the right position at this point and your 10 minutes like I said i've got a drill for you if you just put a camera behind you and go okay i'm going to take this swing this 
felt pretty good that I get in that position. You can go replay it back. Oh, nope, I didn't get into there. So then you go back to your drills. And, but, you know, incorporating both. But the mirror, like, it's invaluable. I don't know why, like I said, it's, it's an underutilized tool. And people just don't think about it. They just don't think about it most of the time. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was recently at one of our, before we had all the shutdowns, uh, a new place in town had opened up a simulator uh, room above their, above their bar. So there's two awesome big simulators <laughs> and they did it completely by happenstance. But the back wall are full length mirrors. And I was like, I don't know if you guys <laughs> realize, but you just made the biggest, greatest mistake yet profitable mistake of your lifetime because you can see every swing you take by just simply looking back at the back of the room and and they were like wow i never even thought of that we just put them in there for you know to make the space look bigger and i'm like as a golf nut and and other golf guys that come in here and use the space greatest thing you've ever done yeah it's it's good like i said you can attest to it like i said simulator and that's where like say we've got a nine thousand square foot facility a learning you know, facility there. And like I said, we don't, I don't discourage anybody. Obviously we've got our winter months where you can't go outside and play anyway. And we're jammed, like open to close. We're, we're packed in there. Right. As soon as it gets springtime, poof, nobody's there. We're like, well, you got this. And you know, we sell, sell monthly memberships. It's like, why do we not see you guys at least a couple of times a month? For one, you can check your, you can spec your distances. You can get on the cameras and check and see, make sure you're in the right positions. You're gapping. You can just come in and get out of the wind. You can turn off everything so you know exactly what your shot's doing. There's so much benefit to, to being able to go inside and kind of turn off the elements, take away at least that portion of it, you know, crappy turf, crappy balls, whatever it may be. But you just have that advantage. And that's like, we're come in here a couple of times so that you can enjoy your time outside better. But people just, Oh, I want to, I want to see the ball flight. It shows you right there on the screen what the ball flight is. Yeah. It's just like you guys said, you have track mans. I mean, you got the best technology that, you know, the golf industry could offer. Um, And I want to get into that a little bit too. You know, we didn't really touch on too much the impact golf center, but um, how long have you been at the impact off center and you know what really do you guys work on with your clients all the time day one day one we opened in january 2005 and i've been or 2015 not 2005 um but so i've been there since day one um and really it's like i said depending on the need our our philosophy as a teaching is just to focus on impact with gradual rotation you know throughout the swing but so we teach a very similar philosophy from Derek Fox, the director of instruction there to me. And now we're training a couple of other guys. We just, uh, um, if you follow our Instagram page, we just started, uh, one of our guys got TPI certified. So we're starting to do some fitness stuff. So we'll do some fitness stuff out of there. But club fitting is our, probably our top thing. And we're teaching a lot more, um, starting in a golf Academy where we'll do like monthly packages and, and roll a lot of it into all into one. Um, but like I said, it's just focusing on getting players better. I mean, if you, if you're in there, you know, a couple of times a month, whether it's getting lessons, you know, getting, getting fit, working on, we've got a, you know, got a place to chip. We got a, we got a putting green, we got a, a putting studio where we have a sand putt lab. Um, so we've got everything there that, that you want to get, get better. And I think, like I said, we're both 
really good instructors with, you know, training a couple of, um, mentoring a couple of guys coming up that, that want to teach so that we can grow and, and do some things that way. I was going to say for, for those who don't follow you on Instagram at impact golf center, um, on Instagram, you guys have a damn good facility. I mean, everything looks still to this day, brand new, um, the putting greens and, and, you know, like you said, the putting lab and everything, it just, uh, you guys are bringing top notch technology to anyone who shows up at your door. Yeah. The, the addition that we did make was our, we've got, I don't know if you've seen, but we've got a shaft wall where we do our fitting out of two of our bays. Um, we did make that addition. So we've done some things throughout, you know, the, the course of the going on six years now that have really made it, made it better. Um, you know, we brought in, obviously Derek and I were doing the building fitting teaching <laughs> when we started there. Uh, I will not tell you, I probably can't count how many times we were there till three or four o'clock in the morning to make sure that, that our clients got their stuff out. Um, and so, you know, until we started doing is, you know, as well as we are now and able to hire, you know, a builder that that's, that's full-time, but he's actually starting the, he's the one that got TPI certified. So we're going to do some stuff that way. But like I said, it's an all around facility. If you can't find something there to get you better then you're, you're not looking in the, in the, you know, you're not looking because there's, there's definitely uh, a lot of good that, that can happen in that place for sure. Awesome. Now we love to hear that. And, you know, I think before we let you go, we got to speak to the, uh, the hat that you're wearing for those uh, that aren't listening or watching on YouTube. Um, he's got a classic <laughs> Pinehurst number four hat on. Um, let, let's talk buddy's trip to Pinehurst, man. How, how was that? How long ago did you go? Um, and what all courses did you play? So it was last October. Um, number, number four, the color scheme is just awesome. This hat is like the, my favorite hat ever. Um, but as a buddy's trip, like I said, I went out where, there with uh, Derek, who's the director of instruction who started it, his dad, who was, you know, who's a part of, of Impact and getting it started. And then another buddy of ours. And we just went out. It was in, Octo- in October. It was like perfect weather though. Holy crap. It was, it was, it was amazing. Like short, you know, short, short sleeves, just perfect weather. We played four, two and eight and then the cradle, um, two is it's like phenomenal. Like I said, it's, there's not a bad hole on two. I will tell you, I mean, and it, but it will stomp you. Like if, <laughs> if you get off and I've heard people like talk bad about two. We had a guy that uh, he actually is a buddy of buddy of ours who runs um, Asher golf and he, he didn't like it at all. And he, but he's not, he got his teeth kicked in. Well, he's not great around the greens and on the Ross greens. <laughs> so yep. Those, you know, those mounted greens where it falls off and you have to be, you have to be confident in what you're doing around the greens. Like I said, I went around it and I was, I think, um, I was one under through five and then uh, have you guys played number two? Neither of us have been down to Pinehurst at all. So number six is a brew. It's like a 220 yard par four or par three, par three that, that falls off. And, um, I hit a, you know, just hit a hybrid. Didn't want to hit it hard, but got it a little floaty hit on about 10, 15 feet on and nice little fall front came down and me being an idiot, took out my lob wedge and promptly like had to come back to me and then hit a, a gap wedge up to two feet 
made a smooth little up and down double. <laughs> but but as far as it goes, and like tremendous. Like that course, like I said, if you get off, if you hit a bad shot, you will get penalized. If you hit a good shot and you are confident enough to play to the center of the greens and not go in, you, there's a couple of pins that you can go at. But if you try to attack some of those pins, you're just going to get punished because it's just not a not a good play. I mean, and the way you describe it just seems like classic U.S. Open course, especially, yeah, well, you know, sure. when it's tricked out, I'm sure, for the Open. Yeah. Um, but, you time. know, even on an everyday layout, like you just said, it plays like you would hear people describe a U.S. Open course, which is just yeah. so cool that it still plays that way off-season or off, you know, the big major event. Yeah. And then, like, say, number four, that was the first one it played, and it was playing a little soft, so it played really long. But it was a chill course, like just eased – and I heard somebody say that if you play, you got to play two first because then, you know, if you play four first, then two is, you know, then you kind of get a false sense of security. But I really like, I mean, four was great. And if you ever get out there, I number 18 on, on number four is a long, a really good finishing par four at, on, on number four. And I missed it left. And there's some, some pine trees obviously cut up, but I missed it left and almost the next fairway over is like, I think, Piners number one, like their 18th tee. And I'm over there and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, I literally, I'm like, either I've got to punch it through these trees and then have 100 yards there, or I'm like, I've got to hit, I've got 195, I've got to hit a 60 yards cut hybrid. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm just playing with the boys. What do you think I'm doing? So I hit this Give a shot. The guys, there's a couple of guys and he goes, he hits and he goes, you make par from that. I'm giving I'm buying you a beer. <laughs> hit it there and hit one there. It didn't quite get to the green, but it was the 60 yard cutter hit. Bubba would have been jealous, <laughs> but I got up and down and ended up. Uh, I think we ended up square in our match. Like I said, there was, there was a match that we had, we had going between the four of us, but so, so a beer was on the boys that night, not on you. Uh, it was, uh, they, he it was in the group and number one and I don't know where he ended up going but but I'll take it in in spirit that I that I got that 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 beer from him yeah that's but like awesome. it, it's it's there and it was busy that was the one thing that I would say was a drawback to Pioneers the place was packed and they did say that it was probably one of the busiest times when we were there so it was busy between that and Bandon which I went to a month earlier um abandoned like as far as just all golf all the time bandons unmasked so we keep hearing yes. yeah the amount of people that have told us that and we haven't booked a trip there yet kind of still blows <laughs> my mind i mean you know uh we'll get there uh but yeah that's awesome and i think you know both are spectacles in their own way you know pinehurst has such a history behind it and yeah there's a lot you know bandon being kind of just the new getaway I think golf wise, like you said, yeah. it's golf all the time. There's just no other option Thanks. out there, which is cool. That's what you want a buddy's trip to be is just golf all the time. I think. And uh, all the time. Like I, when I went out and played, I played 135 holes in three days. So and, that was and, it. And, and, and most people would say, well, why didn't you get in more? It's banned. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was not enough daylight. Yeah. <laughs> there was, but, so. and, and that's cool. And I think there's such great courses in their own right. You know I mean? Pinehurst is great for what yeah. it is, and Bandon is just phenomenal for what it is. I mean, they're both 
awesome destinations. And I had to had to at least ask you how your experience was seeing the oh, number four on the hat up there. Yeah. yeah, like great in both. Like say for different reasons, uh, but but really good in in both spots. So. Awesome, man. Well, hey, we appreciate the time you took out tonight to uh, to join us and um, are definitely going to be jealous of you still being able to get out there on the course out in Utah. But uh, hopefully we're we're hopefully not far behind you out here. Yeah, hopefully. And, uh, man, I just want to get back to golf. I know I know Dante's it's, the same. It's a, it's a sanctuary. Like I said, I posted it on my thing and it's it's a sanctuary right now. I can go there and it. I have no – when I go out on the course, especially now, like I said, I've – been you know i've made it a goal to to walk as much as i can and that right now like i said you're walking you know a lot of courses aren't even letting carts out so it's walking only you know so that's i mean that's made my decision a lot easier but just getting out there walking you know just being able to enjoy the golf course for what it is is I mean, and a lot of people we've kind of had on our side of things, realizing how joyful walking can be. We've had so many people contact us and just be like, you know, like I actually like enjoyed the walk today, like more (laughs) than just like more than I thought I would have, because I've always rode in carts. I've always taken the, you know, easy way out, I guess they called it. But like, I've always just done that because it was available to me. And that's just what everyone did. And now we're being made to walk like at first everyone like was like, Oh, we're being made to walk. Like this is going to be brutal. And then you get through 18 and you're like, well, damn, that was fun. That's fun. And the thing about it is, is my last two, two rounds and the one took a little bit, but they've been three and a half and four hour rounds. So it's like, it's not, it's not slower. No, no. (laughs) I'll argue that it's faster. If you don't know how to properly use a cart with two people, walking is guaranteed faster. Yes. And it allows you to be selfish. You hit your ball and you just beeline right to it. You don't have to worry about it. There's times I remember playing where I was in the car with like, you know, one person's left, one person's right. We go to the, you know, we go to the one guy who's right. And then my ball's left. I'm like, crap, I can't find it. And now I'm sitting there wasting like two minutes, three minutes trying to find my ball when yeah. it's in clear daylight, just because I lost the line of it off the tee. And now I'm sitting there wasting time trying to find where the hell my ball is. But if yeah. you walk, you just say F you three, I'll see you at the green. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go find my ball and, and chase that one. And yeah. what a perfect, uh, what a perfect way to social distance yourself. I mean, yeah, walking, I can stay six you can, feet away from anyone. Yeah. You can stay six <laughs> feet away from anyone. And especially if you spray the ball, you stay well more than six feet away from anyone. <laughs> for sure. Like I said, and it's, it's, it's becoming a little bit more of a movement for sure. Um, I think it's becoming cool to walk again a little bit more, especially with, you know, some of the bags that are being designed for the longest time you had just enormous bags. The movement was cart bag central for a long time. Yeah. Um, And we're starting to see it even just kind of, you know, interviews we do with guys that are, you know, pumping out Sunday bags. I think that's the movement. It, it's yeah. between McKenzie and Jones kind of going back to their roots and, and making lightweight Sunday bags. They've mainstreamed this, you know, lightweight Sunday movement. Um, but other than that, man, it's cool to just see like not only from the walking side of things, but like it, it's how the game I, I feel like was intended to be played. And and you're starting to see a lot of people realize that and say like, that was such a more enjoyable experience, whether it was walking nine or walking 18, than if I rode nine or if I rode 18, like I just had a better time, like end yeah, all be all. Sure. 
So yeah. it's cool. I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, <laughs> to keep getting, you know, people's, you know, I guess, testimonials that, that saying they're enjoying walking, whether it's yes. for the first time in a long time or for the first time ever. I mean, you got a lot of guys that just Sunday, you know, or Saturday afternoon it with their buddies drinking beer yeah. that never walked before that are being yeah. forced to it and having a good time still. So um, it's fun to see in the industry for sure. Yeah. And like I said, and it's, it's been a goal of mine. Like I said, I've got, you know, just trying to walk. I've got, I've got an Asher carry bag and it's got a stand on it, which is, which is kind of nice, but I've also got a ping moonlight bag that if I want to go short set with it, but I mean, it's just like, say for me, it's just way more enjoyable than, than riding in the cart. There's some times where like this, so there's some, some courses that, that they won't let you walk. Um, they just won't let you walk, but you just have to, to deal with, with those courses as they come. But yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're a you're a paying customer at a course that you gotta gotta abide by their rules. But if you can, get out there and walk, you know. For sure. For the brand. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy 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 the walk. Right? Enjoy the walk, we're, man. We're all we're all building building brands, and you know, like I said, I've just and I don't know if you guys have followed, but I've started a couple of podcasts and yeah i mean you know let's 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 get into that and and always happy to share people you know getting out there in the industry where can people find your podcast and and how Uh, can they follow along so the first uh so i've got two one is the buttercuts podcast that i'm actually i'll be recording here in about 15 minutes um (laughs) and it's and that's one it's just me and a, a buddy uh joe jack and we're just talking whatever you know golf it's just gonna be just talking whatever's going on current events fashion he he does a lot of the the stuff for asher golf so we'll we'll talk a little bit about there and then the one that i'm doing you know going to be documenting the the playing the utah courses is called the high swing podcast both of them are on spotify right now um i think we got to change up the artwork on the the buttercuts podcast to get it on apple but the high swing is on all the platforms that you're going to you're going to listen to and some that you probably will never listen to <laughs> to them on at all. Um, but that one, and with the hive swing, we're actually doing the, the hive golf club, which uh, we'll be actually recording and telling a little bit about tomorrow, which it'll be a Utah based, you know, golf society that we we're going to do some events and, and stuff out of too. So. Awesome, man. Well, excited to um, follow along in that. And, and definitely, you know, we're always on the search for, you know, golf societies like that are just common minded people getting together to play the game. So I'm excited to help you in any way we can, um, to, you know, push that and, and just see more people playing golf. Yeah. It's like I said, it's what it's about is like, say that's, that's our whole thing with, with both of it. Golf is my life. Right. So this is, (laughs) this is one way that I can, I can enjoy that and share that, you know, my joy and my passion with the world. So. For sure. And, and to, to build on that, where can people follow you personally to maybe follow along with whatever you're doing uh, within your own journey? Um, at J blocks golf. A, so it's at J B L O X golf on Instagram. And then you can find it. I think it's a couple of other things, but that's my main platform is, is Instagram right now. So awesome. Well, guys, that is Jordan Bloxham, uh, master club fitter and instructor out of the Salt Lake City, Utah area. So if you're ever passing through or just, you know, you're already in Utah and looking for uh, someone to help you better understand your clubs, your game, uh, look no further than Jordan and uh, definitely tune into whatever he's got going yeah, on. With or just want to play around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, or I'm just want to get together and just, you know, 
hit that little white ball around. For sure. Flights so. are probably cheap right now. So. <laughs> really cheap. Flights are <laughs> mad cheap right now. <laughs> so as soon as this is all, you're all welcome. You're all invited. We'll get well, set up. It's on our list and, and it definitely know it's on a short list of, of places to be once it's all, uh, you know, subsides. So appreciate the time tonight, man. And, and hey. looking forward to connecting here sometime soon in the future. Thanks for having me guys. Always yes, a pleasure. Shut it.